0: Welcome to our podcast series, Talking With Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. My name is Garth McKenzie. I've been trading since the age of 16. I headed up the retail derivatives desk for a large stockbroking firm in South Africa from 2003 until 2009. After that, I left the corporate world and I started traderscorner.co.za, an online service that caters to DIY traders providing analysis and trader education. I also ran the Traders Corner TV show on Business Day TV for over 10 years from 2009 to 2019. I've recently relocated to the UK and I trade both the South African and the offshore markets. Through this series, we hope to connect traders with other traders across the globe to share information, tips, and general advice on derivatives trading. The podcast series is brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. On to today's episode. Joining me this afternoon is Brian Gibbs, a very successful trader, a guy that I've known for a number of years. He came on one of my trading courses down in Durban some years ago. And, um, and has a lot of experience in the market long before I met him and has a great pedigree in the market. So Brian, thanks very much for your time, taking the afternoon to chat to me. I really do appreciate it. Um, it's good to speak to you. I know you're down in South Africa at the moment, but we've recently been in touch with each other and in contact in the UK as well, the two of us. And, um, and we we keep in regular contact in terms of markets and trading and what have you. So thank you very much for taking the time to chat to me today.
1: It's it's a pleasure, Gotham. Anything to break up the um, monotony of the current lockdown.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're all sitting at home doing our bits and waiting for this uh, lockdown to end. So stay safe out there. Just let's get straight into it, Brian. Um, you know, when did you start trading? What was what got you interested in the market? And tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are.
1: Sure. Um, My background is that I went to university and was trying to become a chartered accountant. And as soon as I got a VAC job uh, working as a trainee auditor, I realized that it was not perhaps um, how I wanted to spend my, my life. And so it was simply a case of, of, of money to be honest and um, from what little I knew at age 17 or 18 um, I thought getting into the stock market would perhaps be the best way to make money as quickly as possible and based on that I actually left honours at WITS and at the time the uh, finance and marketing department um, at WITS was running the, the stock exchange members exams and I signed up for that um, much to my, my father's dismay. And that was about three months of going to lectures um, in the evenings, Monday to Thursday. And I was exposed to people who actually physically worked on the stock stock exchange in Johannesburg and had been invited to become partners or stockbrokers. And that's when I met people. And based on passing those exams, I walked around the JC with my CV until eventually I, I got a job. Um, and then just progressed from there. I started off in the, the back office. Um, I went and uh, was fortunate enough to, to learn how to trade on the floor. Um, and then later on, I went back to to university and went to business school at UCT. Um, went back to the same broking firm and co-managed um, what we'd probably call a, a hedge fund, which was basically the prop desk. Um, at the time, the company had listed and had a fair amount of capital that needed to be deployed. And yeah, spent a couple of years in the market as a sales trader. And about 10 years ago, decided that it was time to, to branch out on my own and been trading for myself professionally and managing a bit of external cash uh, for about the last 10 or 11 years.
0: That's very interesting background. So you say that you were on the floor. Um, what more or less? What year did you start in the markets then? Because the floor I remember closed. I think in nineteen ninety six. So you obviously were around. Yeah. For so some time before yeah, that.
1: it was probably in ninety four, maybe late ninety three. So a good eighteen months of learning how to trade in the open outcry system, and uh, very fortunate when I look back um, was was exposed to some very astute people who taught me all about money and trading and gave me a lot of confidence and perhaps taught me that um, making money and learning how to trade had very little to do with academic qualifications and what was written in a textbook. And um, I look back fondly on those years and certainly I can say those 18 months to two years, I learned as much as I did. Um, at any university
0: yeah that 's very interesting. I can certainly um, agree in terms of the academics not necessarily being correlated with uh, success in the in the markets i mean i 've come across some very, very bright people who have been clients of mine over the years, and not all of them are very good traders and I've come across some people who would, let's just call them street smart, and they have make excellent traders. So it's certainly not a direct correlation between the level of of, of uh, uh, academia and, uh, and success as a trader, that's, and I can certainly agree with that.
1: Yeah, definitely my experience as well, and I can think of many examples that fit um, th- what you're saying, and perhaps speaking from my own experience, um, having textbook answers and knowing how markets should behave, and uh, because you've got a background in, say, finance or in accounting, and you've analyzed a company, um, one of the biggest problems I find is that um, it, it tends to create this willingness or want or need to control the market and the outcomes, and that certainly probably. The biggest obstacle to to success in the markets
0: yeah absolutely (laughs) agree with that when when it comes to your your story as a pa trader trading your own capital um i mean i presume you did a lot of trading of your own capital whilst you were at the firms that you started at in the beginning yes were were your you know what were your early years like um when it came to trading your own capital were you successful from the outset or did you have a lot of stumbling blocks did you have to jump over many hurdles as so many traders do in the early days?
1: I would say successful from the outset. And that was probably because I just had confidence and didn't think anything could go wrong. And having a background buying and selling shares on a a constant basis, I was very familiar with the environment. Um, And I can certainly, Think of lots of war stories that that go along with that that support it um, but if I use this measure if I say um, that I sold shares too early then that moderates the result somewhat and I would say that based on that I definitely didn't make as much money as I possibly could have and certainly when I look back on those years um, I knew very little and there was a distinct time where I made this, this separation. When I was trading other people's money, um, in other words, institutional or company uh, cash, um, that was a very different mindset. Um, losses w- did not have an emotional impact on me. And then when I branched off later into managing money for friends, suddenly that changed a little in that I was now very aware that if I was losing money, it would be capital that belonged to friends and I, it didn't sit so well with me and um, Suddenly losses started taking on emotional meaning and then when I extrapolate that and was trading money That was my own capital that had taken me years to build up suddenly It was more pertinent that losses now were more meaningful. So I would say that I was successful from the outset but not as successful as i could have been and there was that sort of uncertainty lurking in the background um that uh, the more i traded especially my own money the more it became problematic
0: yeah it's very interesting i mean i can also you know say from my own experience i think you talk about you could have you could have made more money in the beginning and i suppose that goes to the point of saying it's Probably the hardest thing in trading is to know the right time to sell. And I still find that in my own trading. You know, you either sell too early, which is often the case, or alternatively you overstay your welcome and you you, you don't sell early enough. So for me, that's actually the hardest part of trading. Um, and the other thing you talk about is the, the emotional connection to the money when it's friends' money and wh- versus when it's your own money uh, versus an institution's yes. money, which doesn't really have a name or a face, or you have no emotional connection to that money. Now, I can, I can corroborate that as well. I've also looked after friends' money in the past, and I don't do it anymore. And to be very honest, I, I never want to do it again because the pressure uh, of looking after other people's money, is, is particularly people that are close to you, friends or family, um, is is immense. I can look myself in the eye and, and take a loss on my own capital, and that's hard enough, but knowing that it's your friends or your family's hard-earned money is very, very hard. So on, on that basis, do you still look after some friends and family money, or did you decide to give it up as well?
1: Well, the changes in... Compliance have made it more difficult. So um, I went through a phase where I gave it all back. Um, but I'm now in the process of, of getting back into it. And I think the, the rule for me is, number one, make it clear to friends or people that you know, in fact, anyone who's prepared to give you money to manage, that there is, there is a chance that there will be losses. And that somewhat mitigates the emotional impact. But I think that the, the, the overall solution is you've just got to learn how to manage the emotions and not, not think of um, trades as being right or wrong or as making profits or losses. They are simply exposures to the market that either work or don't. And if they don't work, it's probably no fault of anyone other than a simple fact that setups don't always work and rather try and handle it from that, that point of view yeah. than, than trying to make the other distinctions.
0: Yeah. In the conversations with you, Brian, I've I've always found your um, understanding and the way that you view the market fascinating. I mean, we recently met at a Nero Cafe in London and had a lovely discussion one morning here. That was a couple of months ago. And I remember very distinctly one thing you said is that um, you know, it's like having a date with the, the buyers. So let's say you're, you're in the market, you're waiting for the buyers to show up. You've set a date with the buyers and they don't show up. And, and that stuck with me. I just thought that is such an interesting way of putting it. Um, and, and you know, you don't take it personally. You just move on. You get up and you hope that the next time you have a date with the buyers, they show up again. And I, I, I really loved the way you put that and the way that you you, you sort of articulated it. And maybe you can just elaborate a little bit more about that sort of line of thinking and also just maybe tie that in with the type of strategy that you follow with your own trading and what your primary trading yeah, strategy sure. is.
1: Yeah, well, um, firstly, I can't claim um, that that was my own thinking. Um, it belongs in that book um, that we spoke about, and I can't remember the guy's name now. Um, is it Mark somebody? Mark Douglas. Um, Yeah, that's it. So I have to give him, that's right. And I I give him all the credit for that. And it certainly resonated with me. At the time, I was going through a phase where I wouldn't um, put trades on very easily. I was trading futures and trading them on a very short-term time frame and um, was focusing on losses and finding it very difficult to pull the trigger and get into trades. And so I was doing a lot of reading at the time and I found that to be the most um, helpful book um, with respect to trading. And it it basically says that 90% of trading is, is emotional and the rest is capital management and your setups. And I would concur. I've learned that the hard way. And that's where that comes from. And the other thing that he he says is, Technical analysis is is largely imaginary, and again, that resonated with me in that i 've never found it easy to identify patterns in, in the market and always wondered how one person could see an inverted head and shoulders, and someone would see a, a triangle or whatever they 're looking at and you know he simply refers to them as imaginary lines um, on. on a a screen and all they do is they show the history of what buyers and sellers did in the past and what buyers and sellers did in the in the past can obviously be mapped and given human bias and way the way people behave it patterns or technical analysis does provide some clue as to what happened at a particular level in in the past and that is usually a high probability area to get involved. And I know a lot of people um, that I've spoken to, um, they will not put a trade on unless they see a very clear pattern, and they won't um, enter a trade unless they have a very clear idea that they're going to get a three to one or two to one reward to risk ratio. And I have just simply been unable to follow that. Um, instead, I simply say to myself, I have no no idea what the market is going to do this time, except that in the past, this zone um, has been a zone where buyers have arrived, and I'm just going to make myself available here, get some uh, long exposure in the market on the basis that they do arrive and take the prices higher. Um, and if they don't arrive, that's no one's fault, least of all mine, and I have a very clear area where below which um, they clearly aren't going to arrive and it's time to get out of the trade and take a small loss. Really as simple as that.
0: Yeah, I love the way you put that so succinctly and you the, the way it's kind of mechanical in your mind and you don't take any emotion about it. You mentioned waiting for the buyers to turn up and obviously that is always a, we use that term in the context of trading the market from a long perspective. Do you Do you also trade the market from the short side as well? Or do you find you're primarily a long only type of trader?
1: No, definitely, definitely from the short side. And in fact, I'd probably be more inclined to to go short, um, much to my detriment over the years. And the background to that is when I started and when we were managing um, a fair amount of capital on a prop desk, we were long short traders, so we would buy Anglo's and sell Bulletin, and back in those days there were a lot of holding company structures on the JSE. Um, so, for example, we'd buy Gencore and sell Standard Bank, Goldfields, and Impala, um, playing those discounts, and would be quite comfortable going the other way, um, just very aware that at some point there could be an announcement that a holding company structure could be unbundled, and um, that would often count against you. Um, so that's where the short side comes from. Um, as I say, it's probably been to my detriment because it has given me two bad habits that I've had to work very hard to get over. And the first one is averaging in, because if you speak to any, any long, short trader, they will be very inclined to tell you how charts mean revert, which is nonsense. Um, they do happen to get back to the mean, but that's just coincidental um, uh, I think trends are, are as prominent on long-short trades as they are in any, any stock. And the other one is fading a trend. So um, where you get a pullback, I um, uh, used to be prolific at shorting that and trying to buy it again when it got back um, on, onto trend, let's say onto the 100-day moving average. Um, but neither of those were very good strategies. So, very comfortable being short, probably shorting, um, inclined to short too often though.
0: You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. Okay, very, very interesting. Look, that's, that's also my experience that um, I think anyone that's shorts you know, t- typically bears, would, perma bears I've found don't, don't den- generally do well. Um, Bills, perma bulls, tend to do better, but obviously, it's it's important to be able to play it from both sides, which is what you've nicely articulated there. Um, One more quick question on on risk. Um, You know, you you mentioned um, a moment ago that you don't uh, necessarily, um, you know, have a specific level in mind where you're getting out or out of a trade. But when it comes to a risk, do you have a specific percentage of your capital that you're willing to lose on an individual trade when you go into an individual trade? And are you rigid yes. about that?
1: Yes. So it's, it would probably surprise people at how small it is. Um, and um, that's obviously what you read in any textbook. And... What I do when people ask me about trading, I, I ask them to imagine having a hundred thousand rand and they're given an opportunity in the market as to how much they would they would risk. And um, quite often I hear a number of, you know, they had put fifty thousand into it, they'd put thirty thousand into it, you know, it's that sort of sort of number. And when they ask me or when I offer my my size, they they're very surprised that it's Less than ten thousand. It would be two or three thousand. So
0: so that Um, so that's two or or three percent capital risk. Two percent
1: for for sure. And I do a lot of trading of futures um, at the moment. I haven't traded for the last six weeks, incidentally, but um, the number of futures that I trade is actually very low, and so it works out to point. It's less than half a percent of my capital, and it, it, it actually makes very little impact, um, and it certainly frees my mind up um, in terms of if the trade doesn't work, um, I, I don't feel the loss painfully, you know, happy to, to, to take a three to a 5,000-rand loss, um, but when it does work, it, it certainly makes it worthwhile having been in the market that day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's it. Uh, something I always say to uh, delegates on my trading courses. I say that you know, if you're losing 1% or 2% of your capital on a trade, the nice thing is that after that, you've still got 99% or 98% of your capital left, which is a substantial chunk. And you're not likely to lose any sleep over losing 1% or 2% of your capital. And your emotional yes. uh, strength is still there that you'll be able to come back and fight another day tomorrow and have a, have another go at the market. Whereas when you've lost, you know, 20, 30, 40% of your account, as unfortunately many, many people will have done during this recent market crash, well then coming back from that is hell of a difficult.
1: Yes. Um, aside from the emotional sides of things and dealing with emotional losses that can take you out the game, I also think that it's also based statistically, that if you, if you are prepared to lose smaller amounts, by definition, you are able to take um, a larger number of trades, um, as opposed to two or three trades where you're risking a third of your capital. And yeah, I wanted to stress that probably the best resource for that is the so-called Vantharp sizing, which I came across. Um, and there's, there's nothing really new to it. I've, I have read that in um, a number of, of textbooks where simply if you have, you know, 100,000 rand to to risk, let's say, um, and you, you, or your total capital is 100,000 and you're going to accept a loss of, let's say, 2,000 per trade. Um, if you buy at 100 and you know where your stop is going to be at the market and you take that difference – you're able to work out how many contracts or how many shares that you're going to buy. And it's, it's that simple. Um, It's that simple and that mechanical. And again, it wasn't my idea. I've taken it directly from a textbook.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Van Thorp, and I know in our discussions, you've also mentioned somewhere else, and I just can't recall for the life of me now, maybe you can just remind me that there's a an exercise, an online exercise that you've done in the past where you go on and it's basically like yeah. a simulator that you can practice your trading, practice your position sizing. Just tell me a little bit about that again, because I think that'll be really interesting for the people yeah. listening to this it's, podcast. It's for,
1: yes, it is from his website. So if you go to his um, website, which I think is vantharp, And if you look at his free resources, somewhere there, there's what he calls a trading game. And um, he, he, your goal is to take a certain amount of capital. I think it's $10,000. And your target is to make fourteen or 15000 And you have 75 trades in which to do it and you have to figure out using his sizing the one that i just described how many shares that you're going to buy and where you're going to put your stop and once you've figured that out you enter it into the model and press go and it it just gives you a random outcome and you are either going to make what he calls he calls the money at risk he gives it the Annotation R, Uh, you're either going to lose R or you're going to lose 2R or you're going to lose 10R or you're going to make 2R or 1R and so on. And I found it a very useful game to simply show myself or remind myself and people who want to get into trading that's all it is. It is a function of controlling how much you are willing to lose and a function of how many trades you're going to make because you cannot control the outcome. Um, You can have a very good idea of what the outcome is going to be, especially if you're trading with the trend. Um, But it is that simple. Uh, So simple, in fact, people struggle to get it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Trading is not actually that complicated. I think it's just us that make it more complicated for ourselves very often i 'm yes. heading towards the end of the the interview a lot of time, so I just want to ask you two quick more que- or three more questions first of all, yeah. in your mind, if do you have a best trade in your career that immediately springs to mind, and also do you have a worst trade that immediately springs to mind
1: yeah, the worst trade um, um, wasn 't just my trade um, but it was um, a trade that we took on the 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 book and um, some very clever people and some very clever analysts involved and it was back in around about 2000 uh, just before 2000 when there was a lot of unbundling and it was the cross holding between Anamint and De Beers and some very clever minds um, were applied to that trade and that was going to be unbundled it was a cross holding and it was going to be unbundled At a premium and we were going to make a lot of money and I won't go into numbers in case people are out there listening Um, but certainly the two lessons were uh, that was an outsized trade in terms of the capital involved Um, we're talking hundreds of millions of brand and it was um, outsized in terms of the loss that was suffered Um, we did actually trade it back into a profit and it was fortuitous that when when it did, eventually, or the unbundling was announced, um, we were the right way. We had traded it back um, into a slight discount, so it unbundled that parity, and all the losses were were made good. So it certainly felt like we made a lot of money, but in actual fact, we spent about 46 months sweating and wondering whether we were going to keep our jobs, and um, In fact reaching a point where we just thought it was funny because um, there was no doubt in our minds we were all going to get fired and so that was probably the worst the worst trade um i don't yeah maybe the best trade was um the company i worked for when they listed i simply um asked for an increased allocation in the number of shares I, i was given and had to borrow and pay for and it was in a lock lockup period, so I wasn't able to sell them or touch them for five years. And so that probably turned out to the best, best trade. So the lessons in both of them and lessons that you'd read in any textbook or hear from any trader that's um, been around the block.
0: Yeah, excellent. Now, speaking of lessons, this is the last question I've got time for today. But um, yes. if you were to give a young uh, guy or girl some pointers in terms of what to do if you, you know, someone that's just starting to get into this business. Let's just say for argument's sake, your son, I know you've got a a son who is at varsity at the moment. And let's say he says to you, dad, I want to become a trader. What do you tell him? If you give him sort of three very basic pointers, what are the three most important pointers you'd give to him?
1: Well, there'd probably be more than three. Firstly, I would encourage it because Probably the biggest principle that I've learned over the last couple of decades is that um, no one is going to take responsibility for your money um, as thoroughly as you are going to yourself. Um, So I would encourage it, um, not necessarily to to be a trader on an intraday basis, but certainly to understand how markets work and to have an idea of trend and uh, where stops are and how much I would buy and sell. Um, So, the first thing I I would do is encourage it. Um, The second thing is I would try and find a mentor. If you can find a mentor, someone who's willing to let you sit there and um, watch and ask questions, um, that would be ideal. Um, That's often pretty impossible and when I look back, the only mentor I had was on on the floor where I was told do this, do that. Um, but it was more a case of you know how to get the best price than it was to you know from an investment point of view. Um, so if you can't get a mentor, I would certainly make sure that I went on on one or two courses where you would probably learn the mechanics of trading, not necessarily technical setups, but just the ideas behind it. Um, you know, not you know what you got to do to stop losing all of your money. Um, and the third and probably the, the, the most important um, thing I would say is focus on the emotional aspects of trading. If you've got those down, you can learn the, the technical things uh, much better much quicker, as, as Mark Douglas says. I mean, the typical way a trader learns is they get access to, to the internet, they download a trading platform, they've got a bit of capital, and they put on a trade and they have a string of, of successes and they wonder why they didn't start this years and years ago. And then they start making losses and they make the false assumption or the false analysis that uh, there's something wrong with their methodology. And so they dive into better technicals, and they start adding momentum indicators and all these things to their charts, and pretty soon their charts are illegible, and they just get into that hole of paralysis by over-analysis, whereas in fact, they are probably just experiencing the emotions of losing for the first time and don't know how to handle that. So those are the three that I would concentrate on.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Those are brilliant. Well, Brian, thank you so much. It's, we've come to the it's end hard. of our allotted time, but I really, really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me this afternoon uh, from Durban. And I know that you'll be heading back over to the UK at some stage um, in the not too distant yes. future. So I look forward to catching up with you again over here over a beer or two at some stage soon. But yeah, once again, thanks so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And I think that the listeners to this podcast are very very fortunate to have had 30 minutes with you and the the um years of experience that you've imparted here so thanks again
1: yeah my pleasure and if anyone's got a question they can direct it to you i'd be more than happy to give them my answer what i think i would do
0: awesome thanks very much brian okay Garth. right cheers Cheers. thanks for joining us for today's episode of talking with traders brought to you by ig a world-leading cfd provider We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app. Till next time.